Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Terra Incognita, the adventure podcast. Today's dispatch is a little bit of a curveball and something slightly left field. With this podcast, we're trying to look at adventure and exploration in all its forms. And today's episode is going to introduce you a little bit to the world of urban exploration. Now, urban exploring is something that you might have heard of but not know too much about. And the media often portray it as groups of young people dangling off cranes in inner city London. Uh, But the reality is actually quite different. Actually, there are fairly large groups of people who are breaking into Chernobyl, uh, accessing Soviet Cold War era space stations, and trying to find their way onto abandoned oil rigs in the middle of the North Sea. But unlike mountains, deserts, jungles, oceans, there's only a limited amount of man-made infrastructure around the world. And to some extent, these people have started to run out of things to do, so they're getting braver and bolder with the objectives that they hunt down. Now, I've been lucky enough to know the person that we speak to in today's dispatch for quite a few years, and I've been on a few trips with him myself. For what may be fairly obvious reasons, he's asked to remain anonymous at this stage, but I think recently he's realised what this unique, quirky subculture has achieved over the years, and I get the impression that he wants to go on record and make sure that these stories are told. Luckily, he's agreed to do a full-length feature with us, where hopefully he'll uh, reveal his name and a bit more about who he is and what he does. But for now, it's over to my anonymous friends to talk about the time he climbed the Pyramids of Giza in Egypt. Right, so, Great Pyramids of Giza. Big, tall, famous things. Wonder of the world. You probably think you might want to climb them, and we did. So following a bunch of successful attempts to go and climb them in 2011, 2012, and actually a whole host of various... It's a big thing in Japan, funnily enough, climbing the pyramids. And there's a whole sort of Japanese subculture related to going and climbing the pyramids of Giza, But believe it or not. Now, it's not really a thing that's been done much in the West. Um, and there have been a few noted sort of uh, successful summits of the pyramids of Giza since it was made illegal in like the mid 80s or something so everyone used to do it if you went on holiday to Cairo it was just a thing you went and did just climb the top of the pyramids because it was because it was cool because so many people were doing it and because of the mass tourism and all the rest of it they clamped down on it and now it's a, a really serious offence to climb the Great Pyramids of Giza without permission which is probably you know you can see their uh, you can see their side of it you know you don't want 20,000 people a year going up and down it and, and ruining it but it's something that you know obviously still appeals and you know if you, you kind of take the, the the sort of the wide view you know an extra two pairs of trainers going up and down it once probably won't make any difference will it so we decided we're going to go and climb the pyramids me and uh, me and my mate lucy and actually there's another lad who was going to come with it like called mark and um we made our plans and then 
uh, it was about 2013 and we had our tickets booked and then Egypt kind of descended into civil war and a rational person might say well let's maybe go and do it another time but I'd already bought my tickets I was like well I'm, I'm fucked I'm going to throw £400 at the bin so let, let's just have it shall we um, Mark the other lad he was like I'm not into this I'm going to stay at home so me and Lucy caught our planes out to Egypt when the whole country was being ripped to bits in the uh, in the Arab Spring and uh, we, we landed and just coming out of the airport there was just soldiers everywhere we kind of we come down the motorway and it was just passing tanks and tanks and roadblocks and all on all sorts of stuff and uh we met this this fellow on couch surf and he was like you don't want to be in cairo right now it's like the whole place is kicking off there's like riots and stuff it's like let's go out of town for a couple of days so we had a bit of time so we went with this bloke went out up to the north some beach resort chilled out there on the beach for a bit Eventually, you know, after a couple of days of that, we're like, well, you know, we've we've come here to climb the pyramid, so let's 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 get back on it. It was like, okay, well, off you go then. And we we drove back into Cairo, um, got to the uh, got to the pyramids of Giza, and found out they were closed because we had this plan, right? We thought, well, we're going to climb the pyramids. How are we going to do it? Well, one way you could climb the pyramids if you wanted to was to pay in as a regular tourist, find somewhere to hide, wait for night time. And then, providing there's no soldiers or anything walking around, run at the thing, climb up it, and then climb back down again before you've been seen or caught, and go and hide, go to sleep, wake up the next day, and walk out the tourist gate like a regular tourist. That was the plan. But because of all the problems and the, you know, the kind of the civil war that was happening and the military curfew and all the rest of it, um, you, you couldn't actually get in the pyramids because it was closed. All major tourist attractions had been closed. So... We're in Giza, in this shithole hotel, kind of near the, the pyramids, and we, we walked to the gate, got turned away by a soldier, and came back. So we're thinking, what are we going to do? Well, we're looking at our watches. It was about five o'clock by this point, and there was a military curfew in force that came into force at seven o'clock. So the deal was, if you were out on the streets after seven, the military could legally shoot you. And that was a very good reason, because the, the whole city had been torn to bits. So we thought, well... Let's see if we can go out just before curfew, see if we can find a way to jump over the fence into the pyramid compound, hide somewhere, wait till night, and then, you know, do, uh, do the climb and then, then do the reverse on the way out. So off we set, something like 10 past six or something. And if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever been to Giza or, or seen pictures of it. Basically, you've got the pyramids in, in, it's on the edge of the Sahara Desert, right? There's a great big wall and a fence that runs around most of the compound. And then literally next to that is Giza, which is basically a big sort of, it's almost a, like a favela, like a Brazilian favela, like big sort of slums and sort of lots of houses on top of each other, people living with chickens, all that sort of crazy Middle East and stuff. And we walk into the back streets of the slums and instantly, we've been there for 20 seconds, guy picks us up and he's like walking behind us. Like, what are you doing here? We're just walking around. It was like, no, nah, you're not. This is weird. Like... Two like pasty white kids walking around the back streets of Giza in a time where like every you know everyone's on edge because all the police stations have been firebombed. There's no real law and order. So as well as all the uh, the rioting and civil unrest and political unrest have been having, an attempted coup of the government because there's no law and order. People are out like settling old scores and um, you know, basically murdering people at night and knowing they can get away with it because there's no police. So everybody's suspicious and everybody's scared. This guy was like, I don't know where you're going. You're not gonna, I know you're not going to tell me. I'm not going to leave your side until you are, you're away from my neighbourhood, basically. So 
this guy followed us and followed us and followed us. So we went, okay, okay. So we, we, we went and came out the way we come in. We walked down the road for like three or four blocks, you know, tried the same thing again. And we walked up a completely different way into the slums. We're basically trying to get to the, the wall that surrounds the pyramid compound because we think we can be clever and climb over it. Um, and we get, then we get, we get picked up by this other guy. He was like, what are you doing here? And he, everyone looked really nervous. We were being stared at by everybody right in the neighborhood. It was like 20 minutes to curfew time. So what we, uh, so then what happened was this guy basically turned us over to this, this his kids who he just like couldn't speak English. The guy who kind of accosted us, and we spoke to this this young kid, and he was like, "My dad wants to know what you're doing." And he said, "Well, we just want to get back to the the, the edge of the pyramid." And he was like, "Oh, I can take you, Mister. I can take you." And the father was like, "Yeah, just get these people out of there because this is weird." It smells like trouble and it's curfew very shortly and we want to be indoors and so So we, this kid leads us through like endless winding back streets, the slums of geezer, you know, it's like tripping over, tripping over horse shit and chickens flying everywhere and all sorts of people poking their heads out the doors wondering what's going on. Eventually get to the wall of the pyramid compound and the kid goes, okay, Mr. Bye, and leaves. And we look around, it's like, well, there's no one looking. Let's, ju- let's just do it. And fortunately, where we were, the, this, this kind of wall and fence manifests itself as like a sort of an eight foot concrete wall with another, God, it must have been 15 foot of chain link fence above it. But we found a point that had been cut through and I assume it's where all the, the kids who sell like little souvenirs and trinkets sneak in in the day they can sell them to tourists and sneak out again. Because obviously the kids who are selling shit to tourists in the pyramids aren't paying an entry ticket every day. So we found this little hole in the fence, like great, let's do it. Boosted Lucy up onto the wall, I climbed up behind her, got through the hole in the fence, uh, ran a little bit into a into a point where there was like a little like power sand and some rocks and got down it's like great we'll just chill here till it's dark come out go do the climb come home bob's your uncle let me go home we'd been in this little hole for about five minutes and suddenly we're just shouting and rattling and i'd like kind of stuck my head up from our little kind of like hidey hole and there was a bloke at the fence like massive beard like hardly any teeth screaming his fucking head off in arabic absolutely terrifying this guy like really sort of aggressive like sharp words and you know i don't speak a word of arabic but i could tell what he meant and he could see us obviously right so we're like okay okay so we, we got out of the hole and this guy's still kicking off we, we come over to the fence and he's pointing at the hole where we climbed through all right all right you know game's up so i'm thinking it's all right we've still got a few days you know we can try the same trick tomorrow climb up on the fence pull lucy up and I, I climbed through this little hole in the fence onto the right side of the of the fence still stood on this like six foot or eight foot high concrete ledge thing and this guy starts pulling loose. I was like, just stop it, right? Someone's going to fall off. Someone's going to get hurt. We'll all climb down and we'll settle this like gentleman or something and we can all go about our day. I look down and matey boy, he's got two other fellas with him, this big fat bastard in pyjamas and, and another fella next to him in like a fake Man United shirt. So I was thinking, oh, here we go. So we, we come down off this wall and um, and I was like, okay, no problem, no problem. You know, giving it my best, uh, you know, confused Englishman sort of thing. I said, you know, no problem, chaps. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll go. So I, I got Lucy's arm and said, okay, we'll leave. And I pulled his lead past these two guys. And then suddenly one of them pulled a the club out. And the other guy pulled out a camel whip. I was like, oh, fucking hell. What's going to happen now? I was like, we're we, yeah, we going to get murdered here. And these guys started to move in. And I was thinking, right, what am I going to do? I can't fight them. I'm going to get decked. I can't run because, you know, Lucy's going to have to run as well. And we've got heavy bags on. That probably ain't going to work. So the only thing I could think of was making a whole shitload of noise, try and get some people out of the house, because we're still in the back streets, right? So surrounded by houses. So I started shouting like, hey, 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 hey. no problem, you know, top of my voice. And before you knew it, there were kids coming out, like, you know, women in headscarves, sticking their heads around doors and all this sort of stuff. And 
it wasn't very long before we had a big like circle of people around us. God knows how many like how many heads deep, you know, like six. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Six deep all around us. And they're all chatting and mumbling. Like, and obviously the guys who are about to do us in sort of, they took a step back, but there were some other people there, I guess were sort of elders of the, that sort of particular neighborhood or community who weren't going to just let us go. And so, there's this old man like motion for us to sit down. So we go, okay, let's just kind of do this. And they went for our bags. And there's, there's one kid who like stuck his head over. He could speak a bit of English. And he was pointing at bags and goes, in your bag, in your bag, in your bag. And I was thinking, maybe they think we've stolen something. I was like, okay. So Lucy opened a bag and out came a, a camera, like a big, big DSLR. And someone took that. And then a lens came out. Someone took that. And then another little bag. And someone took that. And I was like, we're never going to see any of this again. This is going to be on the Egyptian eBay, like, you know, <laughs> like in like by tomorrow morning, it's all going, like getting dispersed amongst this crowd. And that was all Lucy's bag empty. And I was like, okay. And they were like, put it on my bag. I was like, oh, fucking hell, right, all right, fine. So my bag came out, like my camera came out. And then someone, like someone in the crowd was like, okay, it's okay, it's okay. Shook my head and I put my camera back. And then this little girl gave Lucy a lens back, you know, and she was like, oh, great. And then everything came out, like every single item came back. I was like, great. And then there was some, some other people like, you know, mumbling in the background. And then this, this, this other kid kind of came in and he was like, Mr. 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 I was like, okay, okay, what? He's like, you, you come with me, come with me, come with me. And he took us, he's like, your hotel? I was like, it's really close. It's like a five minute walk. He's like, okay, okay. And he led us out, out of the slums while this big crowd was still kind of conversing back to our hotel. And he was like, okay, it's really bad time. It's really bad time. Just go back to your hotel. No problem. Just stay off the streets. And I was like, okay, right. So we, we got back and I was... I was really bummed out. I was like, Fuck, we're not going to be able to do this. You know, come all the way to Egypt, climb the pyramids, and we're not going to be able to do it. And I was saying, so I said to Lucy, like, how are we going to do it tomorrow? And she was like, you fucking what? We're not doing anything. We've, near, you know, we've, we've just escaped probably being beaten to death by an absolute nats bollock. And you all think about going back to try it again. I was like, yeah, I don't know, we'll do it. We'll, we'll think of a way. She was like, I'm out. I don't know. So I went to bed in a fucking mood. Woke up in the morning, turned out that for that morning and that morning alone, they'd lifted the restrictions on the closure of tourist attractions. So I was like, fucking hey. So we, we packed our bags, you know, happy as Larry, went to the front gate of the pyramid, paid our way in, you know, got our ticket, went in. We had a little look around the place. We had a very near miss, actually, we, we, after, after we'd done it, because I thought, well, there was another little bit. I thought, this is a, a way through to a, a different section. We actually left the pyramid compound, like through the scanners, and had to convinced the guard to let us back in again on the ticket when it was it was it was just about to close it was only open for half day so after we'd after we'd done we'd walk around the pyramids we've got some silly shots and stuff and like you know try been you know offered lifts from camel herders and all this notorious camel herders um we we got we we got to a point where we kind of looked up and down there were no soldiers looking at us so we jumped over a little sort of a uh, rope fence and climbed up into one of the old tombs where the uh you know, where they're buried in ability. So these quite high things, but you can get right inside them and, and get down. And this was about two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. 
And so we just got down behind a rock and laid down and stayed there for about 11 hours, something like that, just lying down, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, you know, and it gets darker and darker. And eventually, you know, it got to sort of midnight-ish and we were thinking, right, well, it's, it's about time to do it. And we're, we're looking out and the army, were, they were patrolling around in jeeps. And I was timing the patrols and they're very sporadic. You know, you get, you get one, then it'd be two hours, then you get one, and then like 30 minutes later, there'd be another one. And then another hour later, there'd be another one. So you, we couldn't really rely rely on the timings too much. We just had to go for it. So we waited for a, an army patrol to go around, give it five minutes and just fucking ran. Like, and it was pretty terrifying. You, you're kind of coming down. We're kind of lit by the stars and, and stuff, running across this massive no man's land between the place we'd hidden and the base of the Great Pyramid of Giza. And it didn't look it didn't look that far when we were sort of, you know, strolling around in the day, but man, it felt like absolute eternity, like just running across that no man's land, knowing that like at any point a soldier comes around the corner, you're like absolutely stuffed. Like hit the bricks and the, the first bricks, they're quite big. They're about as high as a Mini Cooper. That's probably like the, the best way to describe it. So you're kinda of like pulling up and pulling up. But they get smaller and smaller as, as you go up. And eventually we got about, you know, halfway up, two thirds of the way up or something, saw an army jeep do its round, stopped, sat down which didn't see us, did a lap of the pyramids, like drove off again, carried up and up and up and up and up <clears throat> and uh, and finally made it to the top, which was, which was pretty amazing. And it's, it's amazing up there. You've got loads of kind of carvings in the rock from like like English exploration groups from like 1870 and stuff, you know, people's names like, you know, the Oxford Oxford University Exploring Club and all this kind of stuff, you know, like knock, knocked in the top. And from up there, you know, Cairo was still kicking off in the distance so you could see like flashes of explosions and you know you know bombs going all this kind of stuff you know right at the top of the pyramids it was it was pretty surreal actually and we we spent a while up there kind of like hung out you know like two or three hours or something and sort of took it all in and eventually we decided right it's time to go back you know we climbed the pyramids feeling pleased with ourselves let's go and so we went down had again another jeep patrol about halfway up but stayed still all fine nothing happened Race down to the bottom, back across the no man's land, back into the tomb where we were sleep. You know, where we'd slept and spent the day before. And we thought, right, we'll just go to sleep. Wait till the morning. I had a change of clothes in my bag so I could get like you know, kind of freshened up and not not look like I'd like slept in the mud for for a night and all the rest of it. And in the morning, we decided, well, we'll wait till we see a um, like the camel herders, people who you know lead camels around to do camel rides for tourists. Well, we so we see one of them. When we do so, we're probably going to know that the tourists open for tourists. And therefore we can just leave. And we just walk out the front gate, easy as Larry. So we just sat and we waited and we saw a little kid lead a camel past. It was like, that's that cute. So out we get. We start kind of running around, acting a bit like tourists. Well, we're not, we're not going to go straight out. We'll we'll spend a bit of time, you know, doing the thing. We took some pictures of the pyramids and looked like tourists. And this kid like whistled. He's like, Whoosh. I was like, oh, hey, hey, no, I don't want a camera ride. Thanks. You know, we're just about to go. He's like, no, no, no. How you get here? It's closed. I was like, oh, fucking hell. And just as this kid is going to give us this assertion that, you know, the pyramids were closed and we, you know, we shouldn't be here. A soldier notices us, you know, who's up on his motorbike a bit near the pyramids and he whistles. Hell of a lot older than that kid did. And he's like, Ugh. and the kid was like, you know, pointing over, you, you need to go. So I walked over separately to the, to the soldier and kind of Lucy was there and this kid was like, kind of folded his arms, you know, and just like, oh, I'm going to get a show. It's going to be quite funny. But he, he was coming, to, he, was, he, was, he was kind of shuffling towards us with, with his camel. And then the soldier was like, you know, giving all this in Arabic. I have no idea what he said, but then he went, ticket, ticket. So I showed him the ticket that I'd bought the day before, which was all in Arabic, but obviously I had yesterday's date printed on it. And he was shaking his head, shaking his head and um, got in his walkie-talkie, right? Started, you know, phoning for backup or something. 
while he was doing this, um, I looked around. This kid was a bit closer, and he was like, "Oh," and, he was, and so I went. I went back over to the kid, and he was doing like like handcuff sign. He was like, "Bad, bad, bad, bad." And he pointed to his camel, and he went, "You know how?" And I was like, "Never ridden a camel before, but you know it can't be that hard, right?" And so he says, "Okay, okay." And he 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 shouted over to uh, I what I assume was his uncle or someone like that, big old bloke with a moustache and a cap on, and. Um, and he he come over this this fella with his with his camel, and he go okay okay go. So I jumped on this camel. Lucy jumped on the kid's camel. This camel's like you know got off. And we started riding off, and obviously the soldier immediately realised what's going on. We're doing a runner on these fucking camels. So he kicks off, gets on his motorbike. But by that time we ride we're off over the sands of Sahara Desert. So he can't follow us on his motorbike. So the soldier's like you know waving his fist in the air and giving it all this in the distance. And we're we're escaping off past the pyramids on a pair of camels. So. We get we get away from the soldier, and I'm thinking, oh, this is my Indiana Jones moment. Like, oh, brilliant! You know, I've just escaped from the Egyptian army on a camel, and the bloke who I'm riding with, he starts to slow his camel down a bit, right? And the camels are getting further and further past. Like, oh, what's going on here? And he went, okay, we men, we do business here. I was like, okay, you know, we want, we want some brass for his efforts. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. And I said, right, so how much do you want? And he was like, well. He gave me this spiel about, you know, we need to look after his boy and the camel and yada yada. And it came to the end of it, it was like £100. I was like, I tell you what, I don't know the price of an escaped camel, but he's definitely not £100, especially not in Egypt. And so we started haggling left, right, centre. And I don't know Egyptian money on me anyway. So what I managed to convince him was, you know, I said, look, you know, the Egyptian economy is in a very bad place at the moment. You know, you've got a civil war, the Egyptian pound is crashing. And I says, I can give you... 20 English pounds. I said, if you just wait a couple of weeks, that will be worth even more in two weeks' time. And he thought about it a bit. He's like, okay. So I gave him I gave him 20, 20 English. He rode us past the three little pyramids all the way around on a big arc, dropped us by the camel stables on the, on the other side of Giza and just kicked us out of this side door in a big concrete wall with razor wire on the top and we're just back on the street. And so we we're like, right, okay. So we jumped in the nearest horse-drawn, like, like trap thing we could, rode off back to a hotel, and just came in the door as easy as that. And it was a bit like, huh. so we just kind of ran up to our room, locked the door, and I got a bit of a sit down and expected at any moment to have the army burst in. And it also turned out that I, you know we we'd been sat there for I don't know like an hour just sort of thinking about what nearly just happened. And we got a knock at the door and uh, the, the fellow around the hotel stuck his head in. And the look of relief on his face was unbelievable. And he was like, I thought you'd been kidnapped. He says, what do you mean? He says, well, you, you weren't around after curfew. I thought you'd, you'd been out and like been disappeared or something. He was kind of genuinely worried. So we had to make up this whole story that we'd you know, gone to see a friend and you know, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd just stay with him because we missed the curfew and, and all this. And he, he, sort, he sort of believed it and, and kind of disappeared. And... Uh, and, and then, yeah, and that was that. We never had any bother after that. So we spent the next day going around the markets and stuff and doing some tourist things and then left and got on the plane and came home. And that was that. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk. This podcast is produced in association with Sidetrack magazine, And actually, on the subject of urban exploration, volume 9 of Sidetrack magazine features an article I wrote about accessing Chernobyl illegally with the same person you're hearing from in this episode. Check it out at sidetrack.com. This podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and produced by Pip Saunders and Tom Carr Griffin. 
We'd love to know what you think about the podcast. If you'd like to suggest a guest or give us some feedback, then you can email us at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk. And please do leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends. It really does help. <laughs>